Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. So, we still don't know who won the world's largest game of Red Rover, Red Rover, <laughs> which is what the Iowa caucuses look like. Look, they got the video right there. You're standing yeah. in a gym, and you stand with a group of people, and then... You try to pull people over to your side of the group of people. It Red is Rover, Red Rover, Red Rover, Rover. Please send Bruce send, over. Send Pamela right over. But um, we don't know who won. Conversely, we don't necessarily know who lost. Joining us right now to try to make sense of what the heck happened in Iowa last night is KTAR political analyst Dr. Mike O'Neill. I, I'm Dr. O'Neill, I hope you didn't stay up all night waiting for results that never came. I was on the air for four hours talking about precisely nothing. Yeah, yeah. Still nothing. Yeah. And by the way, we're still at nothing. Actually, I think we've got more than nothing. And I can read some tea leaves based on the speeches that the candidates gave. Remember, nothing's official, Mm -hmm. but they all had a lot of people out in a lot of precincts. And they can tally those. They not all have the same precincts, but they all probably have a bunch of them. And my read of the speeches is that Joe Biden gave the speech that would be given by somebody who just lost. Sanders gave the speech of a winner, as did Mayor Pete. My guess, based on watching the speech, is that Sanders came in first, uh, that uh, Mayor Pete came in second, and Joe Biden was uh, was very disappointed mm. with the results. Now, they could all be wrong, but those are the, clearly the speeches that they gave. And I'll add one additional big hook onto it. If Joe Biden really did as bad as I think he thinks he did last night, the other winner was wasn't even on the ballot, and that is Mayor Mike Bloomberg. In ah. other words, Bloomberg had a very intricate path to the nomination, but step one of his path is that Joe Biden has to falter. Well, yeah, I mean, and that was one of the ideas, too, that Michael Bloomberg was getting into the race because he saw how Joe Biden was weak and vulnerable. Exactly. And I think that this exactly. does, in fact, open the door for Bloomberg, and I think that that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. I, but Especially what I, if it happens again in New Hampshire. Ooh. Okay. okay, so New Hampshire's a week away, and we're already moving yeah. on. And I think that that's also part of the problem and the impact, or shall I say lack of impact, that the Iowa caucus is having. You've got a huge news cycle that's going on right now with not only the State of the Union tonight, but impeachment vote tomorrow. And people have moved on from Iowa. All the candidates have already moved on from Iowa. They're Literally. all in New Hampshire, <laughs> yeah. and they are setting up shop in New Hampshire. How is that looking right now? If you're reading the tea leaves there, Dr. O'Neill. What is that telling you? I think the bump that you normally get from Iowa is likely to be greatly diminished. Uh, but whoever ended up winning, I think the tea leaves, say it's Sanders and Buttigieg, maybe a close second, will attempt in there over the next day or so, will attempt to do something to accentuate that. They'll have a victory rally for Iowa in New Hampshire. <laughs> And they will try to play it. Joe Biden will probably try to play it like we don't know. He already sent a legal letter to the state party saying we don't think you should release results until you've given us a full explanation. And we've had an opportunity to respond. In other words, basically wait until it's irrelevant. That tells me clearly he thinks he did not do well. Yeah, because if you thought you won, you're not going to be sending that kind of. We're talking to Dr. Mike O'Neill, KTAR political analyst, as uh, uh, the results from the 
Iowa caucus are still in some doubt, or at least the specific numbers are. Question for you. Do you think this drives the nail into the caucus coffin? Will we have an Iowa caucus in 2024? It certainly moves, makes that less likely. I think that, and and maybe they'll have it, but uh, they may lose their places being first, which is uh, without which it's not very important. Yeah. Mm. Uh, now the the problem is that that uh, parade cannot be led by anybody who ever hopes to run for president again, uh, because they'll get crucified in Iowa. Mm-hmm. They love it out there. Yeah. So, yeah. It's got to be run by people who've who've endured this but aren't going to run again. Unless it becomes inevitable that they're going to do it, then everybody can jump on the bandwagon. But no future candidate uh, for president wants to be dissing the Iowa caucus. Dr. Mike O'Neill, KTIR political analyst, we appreciate your perspective this morning. Because I also think that the perspective that we also need to have is... I need perspective. Does Iowa even matter? The only reason why they matter is because they're first. Right. And it kind of gives you an opportunity to see who's strong and who's not. But perspective is important. Roughly 175,000 people participated in the caucus yesterday. Okay. That's a drop in the bucket. So less than 1% of the electorate. So, I mean, you're looking at... Why should, why should to, this matter? To, yeah, trying to just well, put so much on this one event that we've already moved on for. I think the fact that Iowa happened yesterday, we don't have results, and people have already looked past it, goes to show that the only reason why we think this is, that this is important is because we've made it important. I agree. It's, it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And Not because it is. 24-hour news and cable channels. Yeah. I mean, this is... Uh, they need something to do. To talk about. And to talk about. Absolutely they do. And and the idea, the, the overinflated self-importance of Iowa. And, and and I say this with all due respect. And so what so does that mean? It's You can say whatever you want. It's whatever I want invention. after this. And I have friends in Iowa. I enjoy my time in Iowa. I love how you're qualifying I'm it. qualifying have a you lot had, of this. Have you had folks but from Iowa over get, for dinner? I've I've had three Iowans in my house, so I know uh, how that works. Um, We need to get rid of it for a variety of reasons because, one, it'll save all of us money when we get rid of stupid ethanol and farm subsidies that politicians from both parties heap onto Iowa as they promise Iowans things in order to win their bleeping caucus. You know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point. But Iowa also... Think about this. D's or R's. Makes no difference. Is Iowa representative of the United States? No! Oh my gosh, no. I mean, again, I've been to Iowa. No one will describe it as culturally diverse. It's just not what it is. It's not a slam on them. It is uh, agriculture and manufacturing. Uh, it is decidedly white. It is, it, is, it is older on average than the nation. And so you look at it and say, well, why should they have such a impact yeah. over candidates when it's not representative of the electorate and is, it has no bearing on who could actually win an election? It's small. It's a small state. Yes. It's overwhelmingly white. Oh, yeah. And the turnout for for this caucusing is absurdly low. Right. Other, Other than, than that, that, it's a great I, idea. I think they need some experts. 
I think, I mean, they couldn't even get the, the app right. That's part of the problem here. You're not kidding. You know what? It should have been like a project for high schoolers. It should have been like the end of semester project, you know, de- develop an app for the Iowa caucus. And I bet you this thing would have gone off without a hitch. Hmm. But because you left us to adults, we've got all these problems right now. They need an expert. I think they're going to call in an expert. Breaking news. Iowa has now called in an expert to figure out who won and oh. who lost okay. the Iowa caucus I'm last ready. night. You want to know who the expert is? Ah, that's one. Uh, one. Uh, uh. Yeah, the two. count. Two. Uh, uh, the count uh, has been doing this forever. He's uh, a good uh, counter. Uh, uh. Yes. Now let's keep going. Okay. One more makes one, two, three, four. All together. Yes. Uh, uh, so uh. I, I want to credit and blame Count Von Count at the same time. That wait, wait. Is that is that his real name? Count Von Count. I just know him as the Count. He actually has a first name? Yeah. Count Von Count. <laughs> um, so you learn things on this program every day. I learned how to count from the Count. But because he only goes to four, I'm really bad when you get to five and on. <laughs> That's why we don't do math on this That's show. That's why we don't do math. Yeah. I'm super good one through four. The Count... Locked down. But we know that uh, Iowa says that they, by the way, may release some results tonight. And, no, 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 no. They're going to release them as soon as possible. Okay. As, what does that mean? Well, think as about it. As soon as possible may even be Could, tomorrow. So so today, or this evening, you're going to have a State of the Union, and that's going to be the headline tomorrow, not who sure. won or lost Iowa. Then you're going to have an impeachment vote on Wednesday. Wednesday. Which means Thursday's headline is the foregone conclusion of the impeachment. Like, Dr. O'Neill, who won Iowa? You might not hear about it till Saturday. And does anybody care by then? Uh, I think they really screwed this up from that standpoint and certainly are, are hardly bathing themselves in glory. Yep. What you forgot, forgot as well. Uh, I'm trying to look at my calendar because you're not good is there with. Super Bowl? Uh, that's what I. That's what I thought. Is it the seventh? Yeah. Okay. So and then you've got the New Hampshire debate that is going to happen on Friday. So you're gonna have a debate mm-hmm. as well. There's just no the news way. cycle is so saturated right now with political news that if you don't get the the attention in that moment that has been allocated for you right because every media outlet allocated time last night they were for the iowa result ktr was live you know what's going to happen tonight every media outlet is allocating time for the state of the yeah your window closed your time is over and then on wednesday everyone is allocating time for the impeach the vote yeah and then on friday everyone including ktir because you can hear that debate live right here is going to be allocating time for the New Hampshire debate. If you don't strike when the iron is hot and the time is being allotted for you, you become like a B segment or you become like page two, page three. Yeah. You don't become the headline and therefore the momentum, the time, the money that has all been spent in Iowa is a bit of a loss. So you've got the 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 Iowa caucus, impeachment, coronavirus, the Super Bowl, heck the Grammys. Just over the last week, all big stories, right? One story, if you take a look at online traffic, was bigger than all of them combined. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. So 
You can tell a lot about how a a news story affects people, how people are relating, engaging with. And, and one of the things is you can actually track social media interaction, posts, likes, comments, etc. Okay, and a lot of people uh, get their news from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it might be, right? So, in the last week, Pamela, okay, in the last week, we have had the Iowa caucuses, mm-hmm. the Grammy, the Super Grammys, was a week ago Sunday, Super Bowl last Sunday, impeachment, uh, talk, hearings, whatnot, the coronavirus, and if you took the engagement of all of those stories, it still wouldn't add up to the biggest story of the last week. And if you look at social media engagement, possibly the biggest story of the year, and it happened in January. Kobe Bryant's death. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the tragic death. Listen, the people that that that, that monitor this say the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter is one of the most talked about news events from the social media aspect, the engagement ever. Why? Why do you think that is? I, I, I think it's a couple of different things. When the news first, I say the news, when the rumor of the crash and who was on board TMZ, the, the first TMZ broke yep, yep. on Sunday, there were a lot of people trying to confirm that. I was one of them. I was in Flagstaff. I, I heard people talking about it. I immediately went to our news partner, ABC News. I still get those alerts from my days in the newsroom here. And they said, we're aware of reports, but we haven't been able to confirm. Yeah. And that's the responsible way of dealing with well, this story. When I only this saw story it- was this This story was handled in a horrible way when it comes to the way media handled it initially. Well, TMZ was the only one reporting it, and everybody's other news story was linking to the TMZ story. And so my point was, until somebody other than TMZ, I'm not... I'm not buying it. But you also have to understand that other media outlets, like the traditional media outlets, the true media outlets... They've got to they've got to confirm it through a couple of different sources. And then there is the the next of kin. You don't report on someone's death until family is aware. And TMZ doesn't play by those rules. No. And so there was a lot of yeah. of speculation. And at one point in time, there were reports that even like Kobe Bryant's all the of whole his family, family was, was on, on it. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're doing tremendous damage. Agreed. So I think on social media, it was the immediacy of it. It, w- it was the shock of it. All these other stories build. The Iowa caucus builds. Grammys build. Super Bowl. Yeah, that story this was an absolute shock. Came out of we've been talking about yeah. it for years. Coronavirus, while still relatively new, has been building over a month. Kobe Bryant was in a flash. And when something happened so quickly and so unexpectedly, there was most definitely going to be an engagement. And especially with one of the biggest basketball stars ever, you're going to have that kind of engagement. And it doesn't surprise me. You know, one of the things they looked at also is they said that the story evolved over the week. So from the initial report, to the details, to what happened to the helicopter, to the reaction of other 
celebrities. We had the LeBron James talking the day before about a day before Kobe's death about how what Kobe meant to him and then the reaction. Then you had this whole girl dad thing where where it went from a a helicopter crash yeah. of a basketball star to a a I forgot about girl dad. A, yeah. a man uh, and his daughter and how he was raising a daughter and being a girl dad. And, and I saw these pictures of other people with the girl dad, this mamba mentality, you see. I mean, it just spread everywhere. And it, 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 it was like the next chapter of the story. You see what I'm saying? It just kept evolving. Every two to three days, there was another angle, for lack of better terms. Did you but see? the but the initial but the initial story what was so impactful mm-hmm. and I think it, it built off of that yeah but like coronavirus when it first happened not super impactful as far as engagement right yeah people hypothetically put themselves in that situation but with Kobe Bryant you know, a lot of people felt like they knew him and then they start questioning like you know. If he's gone at forty, you know, one forty-two, mm. you know, what, what should I be doing with my life? I think that there are there's a whole different dynamic that was going on with that story that we that, that you just can't get from anything else. Yeah. But again, when you take a look at the impact, the reach of that story, Kobe Bryant's death bigger than impeachment, Super Bowl, Grammys, coronavirus, Iowa caucus combined, combined. Should should we have one of these stupid hiker laws? Should hikers have to pay for their own rescue off Camelback Mountain? We're talking about it next. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. So, we hear the stories from time to time. We we see the dramatic rescues, Pamela, of people who are in need of help on our valley hiking trails and or mountains. It's pretty regular. And actually, the numbers are, are they're a lot more than I thought they were. Let me put it that way. Pretty, pretty big to the point that you, you have um, mountain rescues happening. Almost every day? Yeah, you've got uh, Channel 12 that kind of crunched the numbers. They got some new numbers from the Phoenix Fire Department, and and here's what it looks like. The Phoenix Fire Department responded to more than 250 mountain rescue calls in 2019, and we decided to break down those numbers based on the four most popular mountains to hike in the area. The least mountain rescue calls came out to Papago, which had a little bit more than a dozen. After Papago, it was Paestua, a very popular trail, but less than 50 mountain rescue calls. Next on the list is South Mountain. South Mountain had more than 50 mountain rescue calls in 2019. And the number one mountain by far for mountain rescues is Camelback. Almost 100 mountain rescue calls. Have you ever hiked Camelback? Yeah, yeah. I've done a lot of the Camelback, Piestua, South Mountain. Yeah, Yeah, but but okay, if you've you've done any hiking in the valley and and you've done Camelback is obviously the the hardest. Yeah, but but it's also the hardest of them all too, and and I think that it becomes very. unassuming to people and i also think what happens too is you've got people who who travel in in to the valley mm-hmm. and they're like oh yeah i hear about camelback and they go and they hike it and you they have no idea what that entails i blame the front desk at every hotel because people check in they go so what is there to do around here they go you google hike camelback you need to stop telling people to do yeah, that especially people right. from like minnesota okay but here in the valley as well we have a stupid motorist law 
So when we have flooding in the valley, because yes, it is the desert, but it does flood. Yeah. And if there is a roadway that typically floods, they'll have the posted signs that say, do not cross. Do not enter when flooded. flooded right. Yeah. Pretty simple. And there's still people that are like, well, I got to get to the grocery store. I have to get to work or I've got to go pick up my kid. And what do they do? They enter into the floodwaters. They get stuck. And then our fire departments have to go and rescue and them. And we charge you for that. Because you're stupid. Ouch. That's why it's called the stupid motorist law. Yes. If you're stupid enough to drive into a wash like that or With into and you have to be rescued, you're gonna or rescued, you're gonna be on the hook for that so, rescue. The question is, should we have that for hikers? Should should there be signs up at the bottom of the path that says if you are if you are in need of rescuing you're going to get a bill. You know, I, this is where I, I think there's a bit of a nuance. People are going to get hurt on these mountains because stuff happens. Again, Camelback is not an easy hike. And yeah, I know you people that run up it and then people. pass me coming down and like you've, you've lapped me you on, on the, the mountain. I know who you are. I see you. I don't like you, but I see you. Yeah. You've got people like me who are like sucking air and like, Braggers, <gasps> but I get up offs. to the top because, oh, the view is worth it. Or okay. so they say, but stuff happens. I just watch I, your view a lot of times. Here, <laughs> just take more pictures. I'll just, oh, okay. That looks nice. That's what there. it looks like. Yeah. Ankles get broken. People, people fall. Slip and fall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are serious okay. injuries that can happen on these mountains and I don't want somebody who is, you know, who an accident happened doesn't call for rescue. Because they're afraid to call because... They don't want to be on the hook for the yeah. cost of the rescue. But then you've got folks <clears throat> where it's 110. I don't like the. I don't like your tone of voice. And they decide that they want to, oh, just see if I can do this and go hiking. 110 is oh. nothing. Right. Because I'm looking at you, Bruce. I'm looking square. One ten. We're still getting warmed up. You know, and, and decide that. Hey, yeah, there is a, uh, a heat advisory. There. There's a heat advisory. Sounds like a great time to go for a hike. Yeah, it when is. you need to be rescued, you should pay for it. Yeah, but I've never needed to be rescued. And by the way, because I'm so stubborn, I probably wouldn't ask. And therein lies the rub, folks. <laughs> and therein lies I'm like, the nope, rub. This is it. Oh, well. But what I found interesting I uh, about about this piece, you know, that Channel 12 did is is they went out and they, they talked to a bunch of folks within, you know, the fire department, mm-hmm. right? Phoenix uh, Fire has to go and, and do these things. And just to kind of get their perspective as to whether or not they would be in favor of like a stupid hiker law. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that every firefighter feels the same way, no. but I thought that the perspective was interesting where they're like, we're on the clock. Yeah, so I, if you need help, that's what we're here for. We get we get paid either way. But it's a full-time gig. It's not hourly. They don't only get paid when the truck leaves the station house. So there is an argument to be made that whatever it costs for uh, firefighters, EMTs, paramedics, the cost of a truck, you know what I'm saying? Well, we're paying that anyway, whether it's doing something or not. Okay. Yes, and and then it also becomes you know if you're if you're a first responder, you're also having the job of having to save lives. Can, so can I tell you a funny story, which I I, I learned a long time ago because I I worked as an EMT for a little bit, mm-hmm. and I remember the very first time in a firehouse. I was doing ride-alongs back then, just learning, and we had a you know everybody the alarm goes off in the firehouse. I was working with Rural Metro down in Tucson, and it's a fire, Pamela, an actual house fire. And I've never seen grown men get so excited in my life. They are hop, skipping, and jumping to the truck. They are giddy 
And I was like, this is this is bizarre. And they're like, no, no, no. We train all the time. We finally get to go do this. This is why we became firefighters. Okay, but in, in that, and I get that. And I've never walked a mile in those shoes. So I think the perspective is definitely valuable. But then why have a stupid motorist law? If they've trained for these rescues and this is what they want to do, and if you're on the clock no matter what, why have a stupid motorist law? I, I would say I, I feel there's a little bit of a difference for this reason. For one, if you are stuck in the middle of a flowing stream, it is decidedly dangerous for people to go and rescue you. Okay, that is a that is that is above and beyond climbing up Camelback Mountain to put you in a stretcher. Uh, I would say that the they are very different. Some of the rescues on Camelback are pretty gnarly. Yeah, but all of the rescues from people in the middle, like sw- the Swift Water Rescues, it's a special team that actually does a lot of that if you're really in a fast-moving oh, sure. river. Yeah. And so I, I do find that on a scale a little bit different. But you are right. If you start charging them for that, then you start charging for that. Do, do you charge people for slipping and falling in their home? And dialing 911? Well, you shouldn't have slipped and fell. What about car accidents when they respond to that? Oof. Yeah, I think it could be a slippery slope. I see where you're going with that. I think it could be most definitely a slippery slope. Should hikers have to pay for their own rescue in Arizona? How about this? Only if you're not from around here. That'll break them. <laughs> Again, that'll stop the people at the hotels from telling everybody, what's there to do in Phoenix? Oh, you could go, go, go hike Camelback Mountain. Stop oh. telling them that. They can't do it. They just can't. It took me a while to be able to do it. Yeah, you work up to it. It's texting. Is texting more dangerous for pedestrians than other distractions? Listening to music, talking on the phone. We've seen some examples of it. We'll talk about that next on Arizona's news station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. I know, and I've seen the numbers or the statistics, Pamela, that Phoenix... And we've learned for a variety of reasons, is a uniquely dangerous city to be a pedestrian. Yeah, when you're walking around the city of Phoenix, uh, you could be taking your life into your own hands. We've seen a dramatic increase in the amount of, of pedestrians who've died just walking around. From 2008 to 2017, the number of those deaths, Bruce, have gone up 35%. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, again, I. I I've heard different reasons for it. Some of them make sense. Some of them seem like guesstimates, but there's no denying the numbers. They are what they are. And we had some tragic examples this week already, again, of, of, of pedestrians losing their lives, people on sidewalks, people crossing the street. But what kind of specifically, because this is one of the reasons I've heard, is that while we have distracted drivers who may not notice that pedestrian because they're playing with their phone, Pamela. You also have distracted pedestrians not paying attention to the cars because they're playing with their phone. Yeah, I think that that's a it's a big aspect. It's just one, but it, but it is a big aspect. If you've ever been in a mall, okay, and have. the person in front of you is texting on their phone. Don't give me slow walkers. Right? Is that a slow walker slow in the mall? Slow it down, and you're like, what Let's is move your it. major malfunction? Yes, yeah, slow walkers to the right. You pass on the oh, left. No. Let's go. Do you not know the rules of the mall? Ugh. 
But, but okay, so if you're experiencing that at the mall or on a sidewalk somewhere, that person, you know, they're they're engaged in what they're doing and they're not paying attention. They have no to, idea to what's the going on around them. them. So while you know, when I go jogging and and I have music on, I usually have like one earbud in and one earbud out because it can be dangerous to just go running in you know on in traffic with just music in your ears. Yeah. So I try to be aware. But what we're finding out is texting. Mm-hmm. can actually be more dangerous for you if you're out walking around than listening to music or even talking on the phone. Yeah, and I think it's it's because it requires you to use a variety of your senses. Do you know what I'm saying? The more of your senses you have to use, the less you're aware. So you've got to use your brain. You've got to figure out what you're texting. You're using your eyes, obviously. You're, you're using your hands. You know what I'm saying? Like, the only thing you're not is that you're not smelling the text. <laughs> But I think what the, the the important distinction between all of these, though, is when you're texting, what are you doing? You're looking down. Looking down, looking at a screen. As but when you're listening to, to music, your head can be you, up. You can still have your when head When you're on talking the on the phone, your head can be up. Not everyone, you know, does that, but but it can be done. Like, I can type without looking. You've seen me. I, I mean, I fly on the keyboard. I, I don't understand how it works, but yes. I, I can't do that on the phone. Yeah. Nobody really can do that on the phone. It's too small. Like, you just can't figure out how, how quickly to do that. So you have to look down at it, and that's where the problems begin. Yeah. Well, and and again, the sad part is that we are seeing that pedestrian... Because I, I, what I think is, what I think is happening is the... The intersection, and I'm not, I got to be careful with the words. When you have a distracted driver and a distracted pedestrian, you have a recipe for a tragedy. Mm-hmm. If sure. one of the two is paying attention, you got a chance. You got a chance. I think you have a better, oh my gosh, I don't even if know. If both the of case. them aren't paying attention, good luck. But what I find interesting as well is we talk so much about. All of the safety mechanisms that are being put into cars, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when we talk about that lane departure or you know I, that, the that braking, that, something's in front of you. Let you run in front of yeah. In, in a I brace. had that in a rental car over the weekend. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> what were you about to hit? <laughs> I don't know, but it was like it was. It kept telling me my forward sensor, and I'm like, what? Okay, anyway. And a lot of times, I I have thought about that as you know, it helps with the distracted driver, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. If you're playing with your phone, trying to get Pandora to switch and this, that, and the other, texting, blah, 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 and you're moving around, which you shouldn't be doing, it's going to to protect you and, or help protect you and yeah. help protect the people around you. What I had never thought is the driver who is paying attention. Hands at 10 and 2, looking around. But the pedestrian that walks out not paying Step, attention. Steps off the curb in front of because them. Because they've got their, their face in a phone and how it helps to protect them as well. I thought this was, was an interesting uh, note. Fewer people have died on America roads in, in 2018. That's a good thing. Okay. It, less in 2018 than we saw in 2017. Okay. But in that number, what you're what you're not realizing is the huge rise in the number of pedestrians who were killed by right. drivers. Right. That has gone up mm-hmm. in recent years. It's distracted driving. It's distracted walking. walking. Yeah. Distracted pedestrians. And and so you really do because because I would tell you that I try to be aware and when I'm on city streets, I'm really like at intersections and stuff. I'm expecting people in bikes to just step out in front of me. I just expect it now. 
think it also depends on where you're at. The Fe- in Phoenix, yes. Also in Tempe, I expect oh, that too. Like with, that. Yeah. with ASU okay. and the amount of bikes and people yeah. just walking around there. Hey, your Phoenix area Subaru retailers and KTAR News want to send you on an Arizona adventure. Yes, text adventure to 411923 to enter to win one of our four Arizona adventures, including a hiking tour of the Grand Canyon. Subaru, go where love takes you. So... You have different countries, different people responding to the coronavirus in different ways. What is working? What obviously is not? We'll dig into that. Coming up next on Arizona's News Station.